Um, I actually need a kid to help me right now. Someone who likes juice boxes. This one is orange tangerine and whose parent doesn't mind if they have some. So maybe someone under 10 who will come and be a volunteer. Anybody? And I have more juice boxes afterwards if anyone else is too shy, but they'd like one, just come and get one. So you, you've had these before? Yeah, yeah, do you like them? Now, this one is not open yet, but um, if, if, this, if we put the straw in here and we squeezed it, what would happen? It would squirt out, right? Yeah, that, that's, has that happened to you? Yeah, yeah. But, but this one isn't open yet, so if, if you squeeze this, what will, what will happen? It'll just stand here, try it. Let's make sure. Give it a good squeeze. It's good. Yeah, it just stays inside, right? So um, that's kind of like what happened when Jesus died on the cross and then rose again to life. It's like all the goodness and all the sweetness and all the power and all the new life that God wanted to give us was right there, but it wasn't coming out. It needed something to poke it. It needed to be pierced so that it would come out. And that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross and then rose again from the grave. It was like poking, piercing the juice box so the good stuff on the inside would come out. So we, let's poke it, poke it now, right? See what happens. Now, you hold this, but don't squeeze it, right? All right, and then put your mouth, or put it in your mouth and gently squeeze it. Now it comes out, right? Was it good? All right, thank you for your help. You can sit down now. So. so that's what today's passage is about. The passage that was read earlier. We read several, the one in 1 Corinthians 15. And if you have a Bible, you can pull it up on your phone. I encourage you to open it up to 1 Corinthians 15. This passage from 1 Corinthians 15 proclaims the good news that when Jesus died on the cross and was buried in the tomb, and then three days later, literally, bodily, rose from the dead, that when all of that happened, the barrier was pierced, and the sweet fountain of new life was opened, and all the goodness of Jesus' resurrection to new life began flowing out. Let me ask you a question. Do any of you right now need to taste of that goodness? Always. And maybe even more so in light of the changes coming to CBC later this summer. Another question, have any of you tasted it in the past? I have, and, and it's good to remember. So, so how would I describe that goodness? Well, at times in my life, um, I've experienced a sense of feeling guilty or feeling condemned about things because I knew my life or something I'd done wasn't what it should be, that I'd messed certain things up, and that there was no reason God should accept me or be happy about that. After all, I was selfish. I was stingy. I was arrogant. I was judgy. But I experienced at those times God saying, come to Jesus, put your trust in him, and I'll forgive all that. I'll give you a pass on it. I will give you a new beginning, and I'll change your heart to make you humble and a loving and a generous person. That's what Paul calls in verse 10, God's grace. 
And to someone who's feeling guilty or feeling ashamed, boy, is it sweet. I've also experienced times in my life when I was unhappy or lonely or frustrated or deeply discouraged. And yet when I vented all of that to God, when I told it to God and I asked him for comfort, God gave me an incredible, peaceful contentment that made my life not only bearable, but pleasant even though my circumstances hadn't changed. Further, I've experienced times in my life when life was going along normally, but then God showed up in a powerful, unmistakable way. Sometimes this was in a room full of people who were worshiping God together. Other times I was just spending time alone by myself with God. But let me tell you, when God shows up, when you feel that God is present, Sometimes it feels so wonderful, you realize there's nothing better, nothing more pleasurable in the whole world than what I'm experiencing right now. This sweetness, you realize, is what my heart was actually thirsty for more than anything else, that God is the one who can fulfill, you realize, my deepest longings like nothing else. Finally, I've experienced times when I was in serious trouble, either because I was ill, my body was breaking down, or I was uh, feeling emotionally ill, or, or very anxious, or discouraged, or I was stuck in a certain habit, or a, a certain behavior, and I couldn't seem to give it up. I couldn't seem to, to break that habit, and often I couldn't quite get myself to want to break it. And then in those circumstances, sometimes, not always, but sometimes I've experienced God coming in and giving me freedom and setting me free from that habit or behavior or anxiety or discouragement or illness so that that thing lost its power over me. Have any of you experienced any of those things? Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you have other stories of, of the, the sweet, good, powerful life of God springing up in your life. Out of the juice box, so to speak, that, that Jesus has opened up for us as a result of the events that we celebrate and remember this weekend. Jesus' death on the cross on Good Friday and his resurrection from the grave on this Sunday morning. The Apostle Paul in our passage gives his own testimony to this sweet goodness. In verses 9 to 10, he begins for I'm the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul, if you know his story, had been an intolerant, hateful, violent bully and abuser who had literally hunted down and persecuted those he disagreed with. But he continues, by the grace of God, I am what I now am an apostle, a representative of, a promoter of the very movement I used to fiercely oppose. And God's grace, Paul says, um, God's grace to me was not without effect. Oh, I worked harder than all of the other apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Wow, the good sweetness of Jesus' death and resurrection had totally transformed Paul's life. 
That's why Paul, this Jewish intellectual, highly learned rabbi, had left his old life behind with all of the familiar trappings and comforts of his culture and his religion, his Judaism, and he traveled out into the hostile, unfamiliar pagan Greek world to seek out people like the Greek Corinthians that he's writing to in the passage we're looking at this morning to tell them about the sweetness of God and the grace and power of God and the new life of God now available to them and to everyone through Jesus Christ. And now Paul says to them in today's passage as he writes to the Corinthians later on after all this had happened, he tells them, don't forget. Don't forget. Verse 1, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, the good news I proclaimed to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Don't forget. Because maybe we've had a wonderful, amazing, life-changing experience in the past, but life goes on and it's full of challenges and struggles and full of disappointments and delays and sometimes opportunities and blessings and so also plenty of distractions and so while people like paul and the corinthians and maybe you and me might in the past have drunk the sweetness of jesus enjoyed the power and the grace that it brings changing our lives and giving us new beginnings and healing us and restoring us and setting us free and filling our hearts with love and peace, over time, we tend to drift, don't we? We pull our straw out of the juice box, and we try sipping other things. And sometimes we forget the sweetness of God, and we drift far away. Let me tell you a story about this. Maybe some of you, especially if you're a teenager, have read Ray Bradbury's novel, Fahrenheit 451. It's, it's an exciting story about the future. I don't know when it was written, maybe before the 1980s. Um, I, I can't remember how long before that. But, um, but, but in this future world, firemen no longer put out fires. Instead, they start fires. They burn things, and what they mainly burn is books. And the reason they burn books is because books in that future day, were one of the last reminders of the old world that had been, reminders that the power of powers that be now wanted people to forget about. Because the powers that be had created a new world, a world full of stimulation, full of convenience, full of comfort, but a world that was hollow and shallow that didn't really satisfy the human soul. Sound familiar? <laughs> a world that, that kept people numb and distracted so the powerful people could go on pursuing their own agenda and their own privilege without much pushback from anyone. It, it's easy to go through life and get numb, isn't it? When we're busy, when we're distracted, we can forget what our heart really longs for and that that longing is even there. And we can forget our basic humanity. We can be so busy chasing the next thing, the the, the next great TikTok video or 
the TV series to binge watch or the next job promotion or, or major purchase or, or relationship or, or whatever. Or we're just so busy with the, the responsibilities of life and so we forget that deeper longing, that ache of our soul that's there in those really quiet moments that none of these other things ever quite satisfy. And this was true in the world described in Fahrenheit 451, and this is how the powers that be wanted it. They wanted people to forget and not to get restless and not to remember and not to ask too many questions. They wanted everyone docile and complacent. So one of their strategies was to ban and burn books. Because some books, the good ones, the classics of poetry and fiction and philosophy and religion, cause us to ask questions. They remind us of our humanity. They, they point out that the world doesn't have to be this way and wasn't always this way. And these reminders in books were threatening to the powers that be. So they had their firemen go around and burn any books that were found. And they were so successful that people, humanity at large, forgot certain important things, things that were real and true about what it meant to be happen, things that should not, or sorry, things that were real and true that, that, uh, about what it meant to be human, things that should not ever get forgotten. And so society drifted, and it began dying a slow death. Its heart and its soul died until all that was left was a hollow shell. Of course, in the novel, there were a few people, a, a band of outlaws who resisted this and that kept the old memories alive. They lived in hiding on the margins of society and read their hidden books to each other to keep their memory alive. Who, who would have thought that librarians would become the, uh, the radical edgy people. <laughs> well, that, that tendency to drift and, and the challenge to remember, that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here when he warns us not to forget. In this case, more specifically, he's addressing how our straw drifts out of the juice box of Jesus' death and resurrection, the sweetness of salvation and grace and God's power and new life, and we drift from that and we drink from other things. And Paul is saying, don't let that happen. Don't forget. Don't drift. Verses 1 and 2 again. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Don't forget. Don't drift. Hold firmly. Keep your straw in the juice box. Or as I put it in today's biblical, uh, key biblical truth, keep yourself centered on the resurrection. That's where true life is found. And so starting in verse 3, Paul reminds them. Because as we've seen in the past months, as we've worked through this uh, letter of 1 Corinthians together, the Corinthians, like us sometimes, were forgetting. They were drifting. They were getting distracted. 
And so Paul reminds them of what had happened, what God had done in the world in history through Jesus Christ that had been so significant that it had prompted Paul to change the whole direction of his life and to travel hundreds of miles and to leave his comfort zone to tell these complete strangers in Corinth who were really different from him the good news of this. Verse 3, for what I received, Paul tells them, I passed on to you as of first importance. Here it is, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised again on the third day. That right there is the center. That's the place that the juice box was pierced. That's where the straw of our desire, the, the straw of our faith, the, the straw of our focus and attention has to go in to get the good stuff, the life God is offering, the grace, the power, the love our hearts most long for, which is the love of God himself. Don't forget, Paul says, don't drift. And notice what Paul wants them to remember is not just a, a philosophy or a religion or some metaphysical consciousness. No, it's a historical report of some events that really happened. Some amazing, amazing, surprising stuff that took place about 2,000 years ago in a real location in the Middle East, in the land of Israel. And Paul and some others had experienced this, and it rocked their world and it left them changed forever. And so Paul continues with reminding the Corinthians that this really happened. Verse 4 again. Jesus was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, a.k.a. Peter, and then to the twelve, his followers. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Can you imagine? After Jesus was arrested and tortured and killed cruelly on a cross for our sins, and his body was put in the grave, three days later, the grave was found to be empty. And Jesus appeared alive again to all these people, and they were shocked. It's not what they were expecting. They, they didn't believe it at first. It completely blew their minds, but over time, it began to dawn on them that if Jesus rose from the dead, then he was who he said he was. And God was with him like God had never been with anyone before or since. And so God was doing in and through Jesus what God had never done before. In fact, they began to realize that Jesus' death on the cross had been planned all along and that it had been the piercing of the juice box, so to speak. And now that Jesus had risen again from the grave, the sweetness had begun to flow. And these disciples and apostles began experiencing this, and they said, this is a game changer. This changes everything, not just for us, but for the whole world. And so people need to know. 
Because we all now realize that Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection are the most important events that have ever happened in the world, and they change everything. They're like the one still point, the hinge point on which the whole world is now beginning to turn. So we've got to tell people, because we now know where the new life is found. So Paul says to the Corinthians and to us, we, we've told you this great news. So remember it. Remember that this happened. Remember what it means and don't drift from it. Don't look for life elsewhere. Stay centered on the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Keep drinking from the living sweetness of Jesus and of what he's done. Now, at this point, I just want to pause and acknowledge that it's not a surprise a lot of people have trouble believing this. That, that something as earth-shattering and cosmically significant and as far-reaching and as wonderful as a man rising from the dead, that that could actually be true, right? And, and Paul recognizes this too. Because Paul was a super intellectual guy. And he never would have believed it himself unless he had witnessed it firsthand. In fact, he didn't believe it until he witnessed it. And so Paul gives two reasons that he believes it and that the sophisticated Greek Corinthians that he's writing to should believe it too and that we should believe it as well. The first reason he gives in verses 5 to 6 is all the people, the eyewitnesses, who actually witnessed that Jesus, who had been dead, was alive again, and that there was nobody in the tomb. The tomb was empty. It wasn't just one person maybe having an hallucination, or maybe a small handful of people contriving a lie and a conspiracy together. No, it was a whole bunch of people multiple times sometimes individuals, sometimes in groups, all seeing this eyes and touching the risen Jesus with their own hands. And these were not people who got along with each other or saw anything eye to eye. <laughs> I mean, there was a guy named Peter Cephas who had just denied he even knew Jesus right before Jesus died. There was James, Jesus' own blood brother, who, who didn't even believe Jesus was who he said he was and thought he was an imposter or was crazy. I mean, wouldn't you think your brother was crazy? And then there was Paul, followers of Jesus were a menace and a danger and was trying to stamp them out. <clears throat> and yet all of these people with all of their doubts and their biases saw the same thing. They saw Jesus risen again from the, the dead, and they were convinced. And in verse 6, Paul is like, if you don't believe me, a lot of these people are still around. They're still alive. You can go ask them. We, we're not hiding anything here. They'll tell you what really happened. <clears throat> so Paul gives that reason. Then the second reason he gives that we should believe this crazy thing um, and why he believes it is that Paul experienced personally the change this made in his own life. Paul has sipped from the juice box. He's tasted the sweet goodness. And Paul says, 
I was opposed to all this. I was against Jesus and his followers. And so I deserved God to punish me. But instead, verse 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, the grace of God that was with me. God changed me, Paul says. God forgave me. He gave me his grace. Jesus' death and resurrection radically transformed my life. And so I, who used to be totally against Jesus, have now become his biggest fan and promoter. And I've worked harder than anyone else to tell everyone the wonderful news about all this. But I'm not alone. All these other people who saw this, who experienced all this, they stand by it too, and they've been busy telling people about it. And all of us, Paul says in verse 11, whether I or they, the other apostles, the other people who are telling this, this is what we proclaim. We're all on the same page about this. So Paul reminds the Corinthians in closing, this is what you have believed. How about you? Do you believe? If this Jesus thing, this news about Jesus, that Jesus was God come down in the flesh, that Jesus died on a cross to wipe away all of our sins so God could forgive us and welcome us back to his heart, and that Jesus was resurrected from the dead to conquer and defeat death and to make new life and a new beginning possible for us, If that's new news for you, then I encourage you to drink of it. Drink of Jesus. Choose to put your faith and put your trust in him. Or or if you're not ready to do that this morning, at least check it out. Explore Jesus seriously and see if he really was who he said he was and if he really did what the Bible says that he did, what Paul here is claiming that he did. Find out who Jesus was, why he died, and whether he really rose again. And find out how he's changing the lives of many people here who could tell you stories about what he's done for us. On the other hand, if you already do believe this, then keep believing it. Keep remembering it, especially now as this church goes through transition this summer. I know for some of you, that makes you very sad. It makes you feel scared. Um, But even as you feel these things, come back to the juice box and drink and taste of the goodness of Jesus again, of God's grace and God's power and, and of the new life and of the resurrection life that Jesus came and died to bring to us. Center yourself. Let's center ourselves on the resurrection because that's where true life is found. Jesus has always been the one. It's always been about him and what he can offer. And he's there for all of us during this challenging time of transition.